Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Nikki. And I'm Mariah. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Body to Burial. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us on our part two of Kimberly's episode. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and give that a listen as we sat down with Kimberly and discussed her Institute for Cold Case Investigations. But this week, we invited Kimberly to join us to talk about criminology and victimology. So that's what we will be diving into this week. We hope you enjoy our first two-part episode. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Kimberly. You're also a victimologist. What does that mean? Victimology is obviously the study of the victim and how they perceive what has happened to them and then how they uh, adapt and adjust to the process they have to go through and how you can help make them as much as back to normal as possible. I don't want to say that you can't be normal, but if you've gone through something major, it's life altering. So we want to make sure they're functional. And uh, so there's a lot of study on that. And then personally, I do it when I do my national speaking. I turn around and I say, do you guys know who Ted Bundy is? Of course, everybody's like, yes, yes, yes. I said, great, name me a victim. And the room, I hear crickets. And I literally, I don't know if I want to cry or yell at them all. Because really, it's not about Ted Bundy. It's about all the people that unfortunately came across his path. So I started out educationally as one and my heart has led me to the other side. When you're doing that, how do they find you? You meet with the victims or when you're working a case, you just zone in on the victim? How does that work? Well, my victimology part is really kind of interesting because it was an accident the first time that I actually got involved with a victim. And it was through a private Facebook message the daughter of a victim who had been sexually assaulted by a serial killer when she was a very young child had never told anybody other i mean she did tell law enforcement but at that time but law enforcement didn't take it serious oh my god yeah she was only like i think six at the time and her daughter messaged me and told me who the person was and that to this day it was still causing her mother major issues and her stepfather was very much on board with anything that I could possibly do to help her mother out. And I said, have her call me. I said, the worst thing is that I am a, a source that she can just vent and listen to and not give her, you need to get over it. You were just a child. You know, I'm going to validate how she feels. She called me finally a couple days later. She said it took her some time to get up the guts to call. She called me at one o'clock in the morning and I will always answer my phone because you never know who it's going to be. And had I not picked up the phone that night, she may never have called back. I actually had been communicating with that particular serial killer. And oddly enough, he invited me to his execution. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. So life's always interesting in my household. Did you go? Yeah. Did you go? <laughs> I did go. I spent about a year with my boss at work and my friend Pierre because I didn't know how I would be watching 
the death of an individual. Now I've worked and I've been around people, but knowing that you're going to watch somebody intentionally die, it doesn't matter what your thought is on the death penalty. I didn't know how I would handle that. So I finally got myself geared up that I was not going to go in. I was going to stand outside. I was given special privileges to be able to go and walk between the pro-death penalty and anti-death penalty people, of which there's like 30 or 50 FDLE cars in the middle that keep them separated. But I interviewed them as well. And in all the years Florida has had the death penalty, there's never been an incident. But it was a little weird them watching me go back and forth. So I actually interviewed the serial killer's daughter and his attorney team. And then the attorney team came up to me and said, don't go anywhere. And I'm like, okay. And they said, the U.S. Supreme Court is in conference right now to decide whether or not they're going to allow you in. Oh, really? Yeah. And he had a case for it. Because in Florida, you can only go in if you're attorney, clergy, or family. He had banned family. He stated he had no religious faith, so he did not have a clergy member. So he appealed to the Supreme Court stating that he was being denied his rights based on his religious or non-religious aspect. And then the Supreme Court, it took less than 15 minutes. uh, They denied it. So for 15 minutes, I was in limbo going, oh my gosh, I'm going to go in. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go in. Ultimately, then uh, after my heart attack passed, uh, I stood there with his daughter and held her while the, the process you know, went down. But uh, if I had remembered, and thankfully I didn't, that for a class, a deviant behavior class that I taught years ago, I got ordained as a minister in some crazy church online. And just to see if you could do it. And they really do send you all the stuff you need to be clergy. The little thing that lets you park in the the hospital parking lot. And this, I'm like, shoo, good thing they didn't know about that or I'd have been in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that the families of the victims would be able to go to those executions. They can. You get to have so many members in, but he flat out refused before the date he actually went to the warden and said, I do not want my children in here. And so he banned them. According to his daughter, she tried to get around him and say it was her right. She was entitled. And the warden said, his rights trump yours. Oh, really? Yeah. So he did not want them to see that or that to be their last memory. And weirdly enough, in speaking to the daughter, She made this very horrible person human because he was a good dad. She never saw that side of him. All the years he's been in prison, she's called, he's called, he's talked to his grandkids on the phone. That's so weird. It was very weird to hear that. So I'm actually thankful that I was outside because I think I learned a lot more than I would have if I was inside. Yeah, because I that the way you say that is interesting because it would be you hear the, the, you see the monster and then you have this yep. person who's conflicted because it's, I'm thinking about my own dad or my own mom mm-hmm. and I would have a hard time with the two, you know, yeah. like with who they are and who would I know them to be, it would be really hard to grasp. Yes. Yeah, she, she, and it was interesting because she acknowledged that he had been found guilty of these things. She still found it hard to believe that he did them, but she agreed that he did do them. But, you know, she picks up the phone and says, hey, dad, I never thought that he was a dad, <laughs> let alone a pop-pop, you know? So I'm like, wow, this is really weird. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's weird that she knows of these crimes that he did and believes them, but yet still has a relationship. Correct. That's interesting. Yeah. And for me, I realized... I said that I would never let any of these people get into my head, that I would never let them change my life. But that was the most naive thing I could have ever thought, because the second you take on any of this, they're already in your head. And I can't forget what he's done. We communicated for several years. I was never traumatized by his letters, but he would go back and forth from being the nice guy to a disgusting prison guy. But he passed without telling me everything I wanted to know, which was his intention all the time. I mean, I've got to be like the trophy on his wall, so to speak. He actually, for his last hurrah, got to victimize 
a criminologist, victimologist. He was smarter than me. He got in your head and that's what he wanted. Yep. And it wasn't, you know, he told me off in his last letter, he goes, for a professor and a doctor, I would have thought you'd have been smarter than this. Oh, (laughs) did I just get told off by a really horrible... Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. I'm like, who are you to call me? So yeah. So he's in my head. Is he able to get out of your head though? Like, have you been able to get him out? Yeah. I actually, at that point, I had talked to Pierre and my boss was really concerned with, so he was glad I wasn't going in, but we, the three of us and my husband agreed at the time that this was uncharted territory for me and I didn't have a mentor or anybody. So I built a team. I have a psychologist that I go to and I talk to before I get into any new cases. He keeps me grounded so that I don't get attached to a victim or make it too personal, which is really hard for me because I'm like the world's biggest empath. So, you know, and then I have Pierre who just tells me to knock it off, shut up, this, that, whatever. (laughs) He is like the world's biggest eye roller. And he looks at me, he goes, are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then my boss is the one who like picks me up off the floor when I'm ready to cry. Yeah, that sounds like a good team. <laughs> yeah, I, I needed it to be well-rounded, somebody who would put me in my place. But then I also need somebody to be nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would have a hard time with, especially working with the victims, not taking on, because I tend to do that mm-hmm. too, is take on their feelings. And and then I would just make it my problem and it's my personal. issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's it is really, really hard to not make it personal because you do get invested. The woman that called me at one in the morning, she still slept with the lights on and she still uh, cried herself to sleep every day. I don't want somebody to do that. I mean, I it was horrible. So when she told me that, I I thought about that every night for the longest time when I went into bed and I turned the lights off. I went, oh my gosh she can't do that. And so those were the things I had to learn how to stop thinking and letting be in my head. Did she ever find peace? Uh, She did. And she really found peace after his execution because she realized she was conflicted on how she felt about the execution. And the one thing I tell people, and especially the victim, if they're still here, or the victim's direct family members, is sometimes the death penalty may not be the justice that you want, because as long as that person is here, you have somebody to focus on and somebody to hate. And you've done that for so long. And then all of a sudden that person's not there anymore. You can't just find new feelings. So you have this big hole, this big thing, ball of hate, where do you direct it or how do you change it? And so sometimes it ends up causing a lot. I mean, at that point, you definitely need therapy because what do you do now? Your whole life's been wrapped up in this one event. Yeah, that makes sense Mm because it would just be yeah, like your frustrations are now gone, but they're still kind of there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she found some peace. Yes. Or got a little comfort. Yeah. That's it. You know what? She's able to enjoy having grandchildren now. And she lives a much calmer life than she did. And she feels safe. That's the one thing she did say for the first time in her life, she feels safe. There's probably a way that they can still torment like with a sending a letter if they're still alive. Absolutely. Yeah. Because like I said, with this guy, his letters never bothered me because I always looked at him from an educational standpoint. I'd never, for some reason, I never looked at them personal. So whether it was what I call prison porn or whether he's actually answering questions when I ask him about his mom, his dad, his background or whatever, and he's answering them. To me, they were both just as valuable because I, I could read them for what he was trying to do, manipulate me, keep me on the hook, keep me interested. I did end up getting a letter in the mail after his execution. He mailed it um, the last week. And so by the time I got it, he was gone. And that was a little startling. But then you can't respond to it if it's something that, (laughs) that's frustrating, I would think. And that's where I had to realize that again, that was intentional. That was part of his game and trying to manipulate me. And actually it was like him saying, ha ha, I won. And once I realized that, I'm like, actually he won from the beginning. 
because he's my first for a lot of things. My first execution, my first one that I had a victim call me out of the blue. I mean, there's a lot of things. Can someone be two different people? Could he really be a normal dad and then this terrible monster? That, or she was just naive to think that he was a good dad? Interesting question. And I actually was, was talking about this in class today with my students. And I tell them that it's not that we're lying about who we are. It's just that we are different people. And if you think about it, I like to say we wear masks. You are one way with your parents. You are one way with your friends. The way you talk with your friends, your mother would backhand you. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> and the things you would say to your mother, you would never say to your grandmother. So <laughs> we do change our behavior, our attitude, the way we dress is different. The way we walk, talk, all of that is different depending on who we're with and in the environment. And that's why these people are so easily blending in with society because they know this is what I've got to do to be able to get close. I'm looking at the end game and, and they're patient. The percentage of psychopaths that we have is much larger than what people think, but the percentage that they usually say, those are the ones we need to be worried about. Those are the ones that are going to come out and they're actually going to harm you or whatever. But our population has many more psychopaths than you think. Yeah. So. I, I work um, in the hair industry. I see a lot of people and hear a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. So I've, heard, I've heard some crazy stuff from like normal people and then they weren't yeah. normal anymore. <laughs> <Yes>. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 But think about it. I mean, law enforcement, judges, surgeons, way rank high on the psychopath scale because these people hold power. They hold control over your life. The surgeon who's doing your open heart surgery, he literally is playing God. And I don't care how good I was at that little operation game as a kid. There's no way I'm doing that for real. <laughs> so, yeah. no. so a lot of them, they fall into that category. You may have already answered this and I missed it, but when you were talking to the serial killer, how did you get put into that situation? You were going there under the victimology side or were you going there under the context of like the criminology side and studying him. I think I missed that. I don't think I threw it at you. Um, okay. Here's how I choose to write serial killers. Literally I'll open up like right now, if I wanted to write somebody new, I would open up Florida's death row. They don't have to be a serial killer, but I'm looking for somebody that's got a lot of charges. Somebody that's a serial bad person because there's something wrong if you get in trouble and you get smacked but then you do it again you're not learning the lesson there's something different about you so i chose and i'll just tell you the serial killer that i was speaking with was bobby joe long he raped over 50 women and then killed 10 in tampa within a six-month period but i chose him because he was in the time frame that I have a lot of contacts with. And he was here in Florida, didn't know a whole lot about him. But when I looked at his sheet, it was huge. So that's how I simply went at it. And I had no expectations of, was I going to go victimology or criminology? I just wanted to start with why. And the one thing I do do is that, um, or I should say do not do, I may look at that roster and it'll list the charges, but I will not do any research on that inmate prior to contacting them. So I want to hear what they have to say, their side of the story. Then I'll go and I'll do my research and I want to compare the two because that's my way of learning how they're going to manipulate, where they're going to lie. Uh, mm, interesting that they left out these details, but oh, they embellished these. So I kind of like to go in cold so that I don't have any 
bias or judgments ahead of time. That is crazy. And I'm getting flashbacks. I don't know if you've ever read this book, but it was one of my favorite books when I was in high school, but it was called The Serial Killer Letters. And yeah, it's fascinating, but it's that same sort of premise where they're just kind of cold writing these individuals and seeing if they'll respond and starting the relationship with them and kind of like exactly like what you said, listening to their story, what they leave out, what they embellish, how they rationalize selecting victims and why. Yeah. And that that leads me to the victimology part of it, because if they turn around and say, you know, that people are in a certain profession and that's how they chose them, then I can look at that as a high risk individual. And then as I'm talking to other offenders to see if I can see a pattern, oh, they definitely don't like people to do this for a living, or they definitely like this area. So at that point, I can start going the other direction. If I choose, I can still continue on my conversation with the inmate, but I might want to start looking at areas or victims or things like that and put other pieces of the puzzle together. Do you ever get nervous that they're going to go crazy on you and like start being weird to you? I mean, uh, I know they're behind bars, so they really can't right. do too much, but. um, Yes, I have had a couple of legitimate stalkers. Oh. Um, yeah. So I really like my bad guys to be locked up forever. <laughs> yeah. But I did decide that I would no longer longer write any serial killers or really bad serial offenders that are within the state of Florida because I was communicating with another one and it was of interest to me because it was a really big deal and it literally is 25 minutes from my office. So I thought, wow, I can really do a lot of in-depth research on this. Well, not so cool when all of a sudden I'm doing my research and I was like, oh, his kids are still, oh, his kids live right here. His ex-wife is right here. They don't think he's guilty. Oh yeah. A little close to home. (laughs) Yeah. So I I started being more selective and, you know, I'm going to still make mistakes You'll never know where I'm at, where, you know, we all check in on social media, where we're at, got to post those food pictures, (laughs) but I now post mine either hours later after I've left the restaurant or I'll do them the next day. Okay. So I've taken proactive steps to try and do as much as I can to keep myself out of harm's way. I'll never be completely out of it, but that's the choice I've made. That's scary. I'd be a little nervous. Yeah, no, it's funny because I'm actually more comfortable going down and sitting across somebody in the jail that is not shackled. I mean, literally like our knees are touching underneath the table. We're so close to, I'm actually extremely comfortable in that setting. It's then when I start to think about, okay, now they're permanently put away, but perfect example. I tried to start a conversation with Wayne Williams, the Atlanta, supposedly they've said he is and now isn't, the Atlanta child killer. And Wayne responded back to me. We had a couple of conversations. And then he said, if you want any information, here's the number of my friend. He will give you anything you need. You know, if you want to come up and see whatever, I'm like, whoa, we got friends on the outside. Nope, 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 nope. (laughs) Yeah. I am not calling Joe Schmo and going anywhere. Because you don't know if that friend's obviously a little yeah with it too. <laughs> yeah. So there's always a risk and you just try and minimize as much as you can. Yeah. Because I love Mariah, but I don't think I would be helping her from the outside. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you would. <laughs> I don't know. I told my son and my husband, if either of them committed murder, I said, I'm not covering for you and I'm not going to jail for you. So see ya. <laughs> You would at least like send me some extra ramen or something. (laughs) I don't think I would. (laughs) Hey, those honey buns are expensive in there. That's right. Especially the chocolate ones. Yeah, I've got to have some stuff to like barter and make some trades. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think my conscience could do that. So you're on your own. (laughs) Well, I mean, good to know now. So I don't waste my time asking you. Yeah, she's not the one for help. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because until I got a P.O. box, I was having everything sent to school on my mail and whatever. And so sometimes I would go out to the mailbox and get the mail for our particular building. But sometimes it was delivered. 
Well, when somebody brought me my mail and they were wearing like nitrile gloves, I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, you know, COVID's over this, that, you know, you chill out a little bit. And they're like, uh, no, I don't know where your mail has been or what's on it. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, now you got me. I'm in a blue light all on my mail. You're horrible. <laughs> I never would have thought about that. I yeah. didn't either. Ugh, gross. I'm like, man, now I'm going to wear gloves. Exactly. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. But that's how you get through it. You come up with these stupid little funny things and yeah. that's what gets you through. Yeah. It sounds like that's the only way you can do it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. What are your thoughts on the individuals to become like infatuated with Ted Bundy and want to marry these people? Well, it's funny because going to that execution for Bobby Joe, and like I told you, I went back from side to side. There was a woman who was on the pro-death penalty side, and which is confusing in itself, but she was in love with him. And the weirdest part was she drove down from Georgia to be there for the execution and her boyfriend drove her. What? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, man, am I like so on candid camera or Jerry's? <laughs> what's going on? Jerry Springer's here somewhere. And I actually had a student who went with me and this... <laughs> I'd been talking to Bobby for like two years. A friend of mine out in Hollywood that does true, a lot of true crime shows, she we ended up finding out on accident that we were both talking to him, which gave us such a heads up on Bobby because we could compare notes. And so it was very quick that we noticed he had a pattern. He wrote the same letter to both of us, but we might be a day, a week or whatever apart. And he did treat us both differently. She didn't ever get to see the evil side of him where I did, but mainly because I think he was either trying to provoke me or vice versa. But this woman where I'd had years invested, this woman had been talking to him for four months. She made comments like, well, you just don't know Bobby like I do. He's really funny and smart and he's not a bad guy. Oh. And she was in love with them. It was absolutely insane. And she- How weird. Yeah. And when I was talking to a friend of one of the victims, the family member couldn't be there. So a friend went in her place. So I was talking to her and things like that. And then I ran across this love struck bunny's boyfriend. And I looked at him and I said, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? And I introduced myself. He said, no, what's up? And I said, why would you drive her here? And he said, well, it was really important. And if I didn't, you know, there was going to be hell to pay, blah, 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 whatever. He said, so I just thought it would be easier. And I said, you do know she's in love with him, right? And then I kind of expanded on that and said, good thing he's behind bars. And I said, because she would absolutely leave you for him. And he was like, you think so? I'm like, what? Dude. <laughs> oh I'm God. like, yeah. So then I said, are you prepared for what she's going to be like after this? And the drive home is going to be like, and he goes, yeah, I figure she'll be a little upset. I'm like, little, you better call the therapist right now because it is not going to be a fun ride home. But it was amazing how he chose to not see what was so obvious. But as much as I've read and studied and heard about the women that fall in love with these people, 
I'd never met one. And I kind of wanted to take her home and put her in, in a fish tank and just study her. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. it was the most surreal, bizarre thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah. Why do you think that they fall in love? It's because they give them so much attention and what they want to hear. For some people, that's a lot of it. But I mean, her boyfriend, I mean, the guy was bent backwards for her. So I don't know if that was it. In her case, I'm not really sure, but I've seen a lot of them or heard about a lot of them that fall for these people. They may have been in a domestic violence situation before, and now they hold the power. So the other person can't hurt them. The other person can't hurt them from prison. They can control the situation and say, if you don't do this, then I'm not calling you. I'm not sending you commissary money. So they really do hold all the cards. So bizarre. Yeah. So they may be experiencing power and control of their life for the first time. And that's why these you know, these individuals are appealing. So they don't ever have to worry about them getting out. Yeah, it's so weird to me. It's just bizarre. It's hard to wrap my brain around. Yeah. You want to have some fun, just Google some of these serial killers that have already been executed and look and see what their net worth was at the time of death. That's shocking. What do you mean? I mean, like Bundy died with, I think, hundreds of thousands of dollars on his commissary. What? Yeah, people the just send it. sending. Yep. Yeah, we know Bobby Joe was at least talking to three people. I'm doing it in a professional manner. So when he asks for pictures in this, lucky him, he gets my LinkedIn picture. And I even cropped that for Pete's sake. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's when I would get mean letters. But I can tell you 10 to 1, I am sure the girl that was in love with him, I bet you she would have sent him her last dollar. What? So, oh yeah. So they all have money. And then... What they do is there's, I have one particular guy right now that he's in timeout. And I said, don't ever ask me to do anything illegal. You're never getting a personal picture of me dressed anyway, doing anything, whatever. And don't ask me for money. I stick to all of those rules because I'm using it for a professional manner. The second I cross that line, I've lost my credibility. But it's really interesting. I did finally have a guy who sold me. He sold my letters to somebody else and who knows what he got for them. And so I started getting some mail from individuals I didn't write to, you know, he said, oh, well, so-and-so said you might want to talk to me or you're doing this or that or whatever. And then always comes the money question. And then I'm like, okay, Vinny, you're in timeout. So, Oh my God, that's weird. Yeah. And I was told by his daughter and I think the warden as well, Bobby Joe died with my letters still in his cell. He had never shared them with anybody, which they said was not typical. So really, yeah, for him, maybe it was something to hold on to that somebody of my education was talking to him. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it was, but I guess you could be flattered or freaked out by that. I don't know either way. <laughs> what do they do with the money that is left over? Like those hundreds of thousands of dollars? Does that just go to the state or to the family? It should go to the family. If the if there is no family or the family refuses, then it just goes into the state and it goes into that big slush fund, I think, that's unclaimed money. So, and it'll just sit there. Oh, I wish I would have gone to like a victim or somebody or something. Yes. Yeah. Are they able to, like, if I'm Ted Bundy, can I leave it to my cellmate next door? I don't know. I don't think so. I think it has to be family related. I mean, you can always give your, they have like, a, I'll call it a PIN number. If you're dumb enough, you can always share your PIN number, which means the guy in the cell next to you can order off of your account and he takes your money. So, you know, that happens. You know, you get beat up, you give up your PIN number and whatever money you're family sent you is now gone. Oh God, I never want to go to prison. It doesn't yeah, sound I like a... <laughs> I love God. going in and interviewing and I learn something every time I go. 
I've learned the the places that smell like my grandma's house that has that really gross old lady air freshener <laughs> yes. to places that smell like a portalette and I can barely get through the door without vomiting. Oh my God. So every time it's something different. So that in itself is an education, just being able to see how we house people and whether or not the quality of the facility is because of how society and politicians choose to treat them or how the inmates choose to take care of the facility because they do a lot of Florida, we're not required to give them air conditioning and, and all of that. Really? Yeah. So I had interviewed a CO from the big 70s, which I call the big serial killer time frame. And he said that the inmates broke out the windows in the summer because it was so hot. Well, then here comes winter and it gets cold. And so now they're complaining that they're freezing. And even the COs were having to go into closets and, you know, take like little barrels and trash cans or whatever and burn things to try and keep warm. So it's not always our fault on how they're treated. Sometimes it's a lot of them too. I watch this show 60 days in and I get anxiety every time I watch it. Yeah. Because it's people that go to the prisons to just kind of see how it is and see if they could last for 60 days. And yep. <laughs> no, yeah. I wouldn't make I get, it. Nope. I don't think I can make one night. Yeah, I really don't. I really, truly don't. I don't like walking down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The things you see sometimes are really sad or extremely disgusting. The way some of them may talk to you. I mean, if you saw the original Silence of the Lambs and that first time that Agent Starling walks down to go talk to Hannibal Lecter and what the guy does to her. Oh, yeah. That's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's a thing. Oh, God. It's just a really tough world to be in. It is. I have so much hand sanitizer in my car. Like (laughs) when the COVID outbreak came I'm like so what I got I got so much hand sanitizer in my car I take a bath in it every day (laughs) yeah Yeah, you have stock in bath and body works hand sanitizer exactly (laughs) you know it it gets delivered to the house by a drum so gosh (laughs) and then if you think about it those are people's jobs where they work within that every day a lot of my students and they go through cycles and I had two years of where a lot of them became COs and they'll come back and they'll speak. And then I'll go through a cycle where nobody in the world wants to be a CO. They're probably my favorite people to actually interview as a professional because they're the ones that spend the most time with inmates and can actually give me more insight than an attorney, a law enforcement, somebody that's, that doesn't spend that kind of time with them. And yeah. then you get someone like that woman in, I can't remember what state it was, but she was like a week till she retired or something. And then uh. she broke out the murder guy. What, I can't remember what yeah. state that was. Yeah. But that, then you hear stuff like that and that blows my mind. Yep, absolutely. And same thing, the lady up in New York, Dana Mora, you know, within the last five years or whatever it was where she's sneaking in things and these two really heinous guys, she helps them escape. But I don't know if there is a way to find the people that can be easily broken because most of them are missing or lacking in something. And then you're under the stress of that environment. So a lot of them just break. That's crazy. Yeah. It's not all stupidity or being uneducated, just Yeah, the stress of that environment. I would imagine that like they probably maybe have helped them once and then now they have something on them and then- Absolutely. You do one favor, then they own you forever. I'm just in such awe of you. If I were to make up a job when I was younger- you are what I would have wanted to do. Like all of these things, it's incredible. And Nikki and I always talk about this, about how we had wished there was more exposure to forensics and science and criminology when I was growing up, just because I'm so interested and I could talk about this stuff all day, you know? And it's just such a shame because man, I, you're like my alter ego living. It's it's funny. I think the way I got like this is because I don't like to sit still and I'm constantly wanting to learn. 
And I came from a very safe, very non-diverse background. So I didn't even hear the word. I didn't know what a murder was until I was like 18. And that was the first one we had that I had ever even heard about. At that point, I became interested. And so now I want to learn everything humanly possible. I can't be a cop. So I'm going to open a cold case institute and pretend to be one. I am never going to be as thin and cute as, I don't know, Jennifer Aniston, but I can do true crime TV shows. <laughs> um, so I go. just find ways to play in the world, but it always it's for the benefit of my learning. And then ultimately I've been a teacher my whole life, no matter what I do, but I do it for the exact reason you just said. You wish somebody would have exposed you to all these other opportunities. And that's what I do with my kids. So I have two kids that graduated now. And by kids, I mean my students that actually do true crime research for shows for Oxygen now. Oh, oh cool. that's incredible. So incredible. They make more money than me. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> yeah. When I go to my boss and they say, well, how are you contributing? I said, ah, I just don't say no. And I tell these guys to spread their wings and fly. So, you know, and see where they land. That's amazing, Kimberly. You are doing amazing, amazing work. Oh, thank you. So I love it. And I'm just getting started. I asked my president of the college, I asked him for a body farm. He oh. said, yes. So we'll see if I actually get it or if he just said that so I'd go away. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, you know, if you ever need an ex-recruiter, mom, <laughs> podcaster, you just let me know. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, so jump on in the case we're doing right now. Start researching. The case is Matthew Heiner. Okay. Yeah. Wait till you see. It's very interesting. Um, but it's, it was in Port St. Lucie here in Florida. And we put on Web Sleuths hoping to get some information. But that- Oh, that's Mariah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me right there. I there am like that classic, what do they call it? Like an the armchair, armchair detective. detectives. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Feel free, research away. Oh, right you just, yeah, you just opened a window that you're not going to be able to shut. So she's probably Googling it right now. Yeah, are you? <laughs> uh, well, oh, we will be God. thrilled to have the help. And yeah, we're going to do a ton of stuff, hopefully with that. So we're going to learn a lot of things. Awesome. So, I love it. Yeah. Well, like I said, Kimberly, I can talk to you all day. And I feel like there's so many layers to who you are as an individual that Nikki and I could poke your brain about. We won't be take careful, up your- get you in prison. Well, that's so. true. And yeah. now I know that Nikki won't help me. I have to be very careful. Yeah. If there's an ice pick involved, then we got a problem. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I think what we'll do is we'll just ask you a couple fun, silly questions, and then we'll let you go on sure. your way because now I have a research project and, you know, I got to go. So. You got something to do. Yeah, I'm busy now. Okay. I always like to ask this one. What is something that you collect besides <laughs> letters from inmates. <laughs> Do you keep all uh, those? Side note. Oh, absolutely. Every single one. And that's why I'm not a huge fan of JPay because if the inmate uses the kiosk, they can actually email you. Or oh. actually they can they can send you like a quick video snaps, video chats Ooh, too. I really? prefer paper because I can read so much more out of it. So um, I do. I have every letter I've ever received, but what I collect, oh, there's a lot of things, uh, but professionally, what people have given me is I have a board of shanks <laughs> that's in my classroom and it's from where the officers have gone in with some of the students and done shakedowns in the rooms. So yeah, so I have a big giant shank board. That's very uh, unique. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I have a shank in my office that's in a shadow box because Pierre locked it so I can't open it. Um, <laughs> and that's off of Florida's death row. Uh, wow. And so I have all the story and everything behind that. So that's probably the weirdest thing that I collect. Other than that, my <laughs> students go on vacation and and they bring me back shot glasses because they know I don't really drink. And 
they're just trying to see how long it's going to take before my boss asks why I have a bunch of shot glasses on my windowsill. So, yeah. Perfect. I mean, those are great. And my curious mind is like, well, who is she going to leave all that to when she passes? Because <laughs> I know. are you going to leave it to the school? Like who's going to get all that? Oh, the one thing I do have, I can't believe I didn't mention this. The very first year I taught, a student graduated and gave me a gift and it's a Gacy painting. Oh, wow. Yep. It's it's an original Gacy painting and my husband would not let me take it out of the box that was given to me in until I got my own office at the college. So that is now in my office and people come to visit just to look at that painting. Yeah. So who I'm going to leave this to, I have no idea. (laughs) Mariah Hamilton. That's who you can leave it to. Okay. You're so cool. Oh, cool or weird depends on who you are. I mean, for me, you are cool. You are cool. (laughs) This is one I always ask. If you were to pick your last meal, what's it going to be? Oh, gosh. I would say pizza, but I had way too much pizza last week. So, um, you know what? I would probably want... My grandma's biscuits and gravy. Oh, where I live now, they just don't do it. And yeah, so I think that's what I'd want. I, that, and then I'd want to go to the church social and eat every pie that the little old ladies made. So <laughs> nobody bakes pie like little old church ladies. That, that is, is true. That is yep. true. That is very fair. I always like to ask this one too. What is one of your hobbies? Hmm. I do a tremendous amount of community service. I'm all over the place when it comes to that. But the things that I probably do that are self-serving as a hobby, I absolutely love to garden. I actually butterfly garden and I native plant garden for Florida. So for me, it's fun to learn what there is around me because I grew up in Ohio. We didn't have any of this stuff. You know, I got iguanas running across my yard and I'm like, (laughs) what's that? Yeah. You know, it's like Jurassic Park around here where I'm at now. And I learned to fish. I learned to fish in the last six months out in the ocean. And that was new. That's fun. Yeah, it's fun. But they made me bait my own hook and take things off myself. Uh That's not fun. Oh, no, no. You would think I would be okay with it. I got a little ticked off. I caught a fish. It was really hard to reel in. And then just before I got it to the boat, a shark ate half of it. Oh, my gosh. Really? I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, that sucks. So I do like to fish, but I would like to find that shark and have a little chat. That's probably my fun stuff. I like that. All right. And my last one would be if they are going to make a movie about your life and all the cool things you have done, who would you want to play you? Oh my gosh. Um, Let's see. It needs to be, yeah, it could be self-serving and it could be some totally hot chick. <laughs> totally, like, whoever you want. Yeah, Um, but I'm so crazy. I'm, I, I, can we find out and see if Angelina Jolie and, oh my gosh, I forgot her name, the chick from Misery, if they could have a child <laughs> together, that would be <laughs> That would be I my, love that. Yeah, that would be myself. <laughs> Perfect. Kathy I'm, Bates. That's who it Kathy is. Kathy Bates yeah. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. There we go. I, I just I couldn't remember her name either, but I just saw her face. Yeah, I know who she is, but I couldn't remember her name. Yeah, yeah. You see her face and you see a sledgehammer, and that's all you think. <laughs> <laughs> or when I see her face too, I think of Joe from The Office. Did oh, you- yep. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, th- those two are, are the what I think of when I see her. Oh, that's funny. I love it. <laughs> well, you are an absolute delight. Thank you for entertaining all of our random and curious questions. We're so appreciative of you and everything yes, you are you. doing. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. You guys have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Okay. So that concludes our two, our very first two-part episode it does how do you feel crazy she does three five ten different jobs it's really interesting right I think it's amazing this is right up your alley I mean a hundred percent right up my alley I would do that all day 
long. I'm telling people that book that I referenced with Kimberly about the serial kill the serial killer letters. Oh yeah, um, I can link it in our show notes. But it is amazing because it's just to me that's the part that is just so fat. Like I want to understand why. And in the book, they go into like details of like how they stalk their victims and why they part- pick those particular people. And it's just insane to me. And then the other insane part is that the person being stalked pre-killed like had no idea that this person had been following them around for months so it also just makes you realize how unaware you are of like what's going on around you because we just get into our rhythm and routines which is mind-boggling but I digress great book if that's your if that is something that interests you I highly recommend it. I don't like it. Kimberly is literally, I feel like, right up there with, like, my pathology admiration. Mm -hmm. I would like to be Kimberly when I grow up. Exactly. It's just too cool. I mean, the fact that she went to the prison, I guess I have to ask you that because that's something interesting. Do you think you could watch someone be executed? Um... If they killed my family member or my friend or someone that I loved, yes, 100%. What if they didn't? And you're like in her shoes where you're slightly removed. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like 100%, right? If they did something to your family member or your friend or just someone you love, I feel like I would be so charged up and like eye for an eye. But I have to say she's amazing. I want to be a student in her class. I, I mean, I would just love to be her. I think that what she does is so rad and I really appreciate how she pushes herself and is continuously learning and growing. I love that. I love people who are like that, people who are constantly seeking out knowledge because they're curious, yeah. which is why we do this podcast. So she's definitely our type of person. So she's just cool. And I think her students are super lucky to have the opportunity to learn from her. I think you need to shadow her at least for a summer. I mean, Take a little I summer think course. I'm just going to like go register. <laughs> just, yeah. I have no previous criminal justice experience. I just want to be in Kimberly's class. I bet you she has an intense waiting list for her has to be right it just has to be a given 100 but i think she was the perfect person to uh be our first two-parter i feel like she did us proud she was so interesting she needed a two-parter because her job and jobs are so there's so many of them that i feel like she is a two-parter for sure i mean i feel like she could be a four-parter i feel like we could do weekly updates with her <laughs> that would be a great mini series like weekly updates on what's happening with the cases that she's working on i would love that she did give you that I task mean, to go find um help them and be a web sleuth so there you go we could do a little update could you imagine i would die if i was like nikki i solved this cold case i found it i found the puzzle piece I know. I would die. That'd be great. No, she was great. Good two-parter. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I guess until next week, guys. Okay. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park